This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Going to start out today talking a little bit about not Goldilocks. You know, not long after the employment report, multiple analysts and commentators were calling it a Goldilocks report, by which they meant it showed that the economy was neither too hot nor too cold, but instead just right. In turn, the theory goes the Federal Reserve could stop raising short-term rates earlier and at a lower peak than previously expected. Inflation would continue to cool and the economy would pull off an elusive soft landing. The biggest headlines from the employment report were definitely good news. Non-farm payrolls rose 223,000 in December, beating the consensus expected 203,000. Meanwhile, civilian employment, which is an alternative, although volatile measure of jobs that include small business startups, surged 717,000. Rapid job creation helped push the unemployment rate down to 3.5%, tying the lowest level since Joe Namath was a reigning Super Bowl champion. If you're a millennial or a Gen Z, yes, that's the same guy in the Medicare commercials. But behind the headlines, the data were not as good. Temporary help service jobs, or temps, fell 35,000 in December. That's a fifth straight monthly decline to a level of temp jobs below a year ago. Why are these jobs important to watch? Well, because when businesses face increased demand, the quickest way to respond is hiring temporary help. And the same thing happens in the opposite direction. Meanwhile, the total number of hours worked in the private sector ticked down one-tenth of one percent in December, the second consecutive monthly decline. And even though payrolls were up, total hours worked, which is data show less work was done. Putting it all together, This is the equivalent of losing 125,000 jobs in December, not gaining jobs. Fewer temporary workers and fewer hours worked suggests that some weaknesses in the job market. What this means is that businesses are still hiring, but their workers have less to do. And why would businesses do that? Because finding qualified workers has been unusually difficult during the reopening from the COVID shutdowns. In turn, many firms might be willing to keep hiring workers until it's clear that the economy's in a recession. This also means that if a recession happens, and we continue to think it will, more workers have to be let go. The figure that the optimists focused on the most was the wage report, which showed a relatively moderate gain of three-tenths of one percent in average hourly earnings in December and a gain of 4.6% versus a year ago. Moderate wage growth? The conventional thinking goes diffuses the potential for a wage price spiral that keeps inflation high or even pushes it higher. But this is a basic misunderstanding of inflation dynamics. As Milton Friedman taught us, it's loose money that causes inflation to go up. The fact that the wages sometimes go up faster at the same time is also a sign of loose money, but is not a sign that wage growth causes inflation. 
What analysts, commentators, and the market should have spent more time chewing over was the ISM services report, which screamed stagflation. The overall index came in at 49.6, well below consensus expectations for the first reading in the contraction territory since the onset of COVID. In fact, excluding very early COVID, it is the first sub-50 reading since 2009. Meanwhile, although the prices paid index declined to 67.6 versus 70 in November, that's still higher than it ever was between mid-2011 and early 2021. So this week's CPI report showed tame overall inflation for December itself, but that will largely be due to falling energy prices. The ISM report suggests inflation isn't going back to the Fed's 2% target anytime soon. So put it all together, and it looks like both the surge in M2 growth in 20 and 21, which created the inflation, and the abrupt slowdown in 22, which would cause slower growth, are still winding their way through the economy. If so, we should see weak economic data soon. Further forward, if the Federal Reserve maintains slow M2 growth, an open question given the Fed's reluctance to focus publicly on the monetary aggregates that's when setting policy, we could see a major slowdown in inflation in 2024. Time and the direction of monetary policy will tell. But right now, it looks like real GDP expanded at a 25 to 3% rate in the last quarter of 22. But that's how fast it's growing in the first quarter of 23, if at all, is anyone's guess. And let's look at our global roundup this week. We're seeing a soft landing hopes as inflation moderates. Global equities were higher on the week amid further evidence of the U.S. inflation continues to slow. The yield on 10-year U.S. Treasury fell to 0.13% from a week before to 3.47%, with the price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil added $4 and is up near $80 a barrel. Volatility as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, fell to 19.3, closed the lowest level in a year from 21.5 a week ago. And macro news, U.S. inflation eased in December. Growth in consumer prices in the United States accelerated for the sixth month in December. The consumer price index declined one-tenth of one percent from November. We'll get into more detail on that December report here in a few minutes. And rose more moderate, six and a half percent from a year earlier, down from November's 7.1 percent pace. And since CPI peaked at 9.1% in June, falling energy and goods prices have contributed to a more measured pace of price gains, gains that have been concentrated largely in the cost of services. However, core services inflation, which excludes shelter, a measure of the U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell recently highlighted as a focus for policymakers, ticked up to 7.4% year over year. That uptick, along with the jobless claims data that suggests that the labor market remains exceptionally tight, failed to dent investor optimism that the Fed tightening cycle is nearing its end. Futures markets expect the Fed to hike a quarter of a percent on the 1st of February and again on the 22nd of March before pausing. Late this week, several FOMC members said that they expect hike rates to be smaller increments going forward. 
And the World Bank also expects slower growth. The World Bank slashed its 23 growth outlook and warned of a global recession. It expects a 1.7% global growth this year, about half the pace of its forecast in June. The combination of slow growth, tightening financial conditions, and heavy indebtedness is likely to weaken investment and trigger corporate defaults, according to the World Bank President David Malpass. And White House says that Yellen is to stay on. Senior White House officials confirmed this week that the U.S. Secretary of Treasury, Janet Yellen, will remain in her post for a third year. It's not unusual for cabinet officers to leave their positions after the midterm elections. Yellen drew criticism earlier in Biden's term for her belief that inflation would be transitory, a mistake that she has acknowledged. With the prospect of a looming fight over the nation's debt limit in Congress, Yellen, a former Fed chair, is well-placed to warn against the perils of a potential default. And Japan's Prime Minister lays the groundwork for normalizing interest rates after working together for the past decade to overcome persistent deflation. The Bank of Japan and the Japanese government must now play their own role, Japan's Prime Minister Kushida said last week. Under the new Bank of Japan governor, who will be chosen soon by Kushida, the government and central bank will have to discuss their relationship, the Prime Minister said. Investors took the comment as a signal that groundwork is being laid for an exit from the Bank of Japan's super-loose monetary policy and pushed yields beyond the central bank's half a percent yield cap on the 10-year Japanese government bond, forcing the Bank of Japan to buy bonds to limit a further backup in yields. And special counsel is investing Biden. Uh, U.S. Attorney General Mary Garden appointed a special counsel to investigate the potential mishandling of classified documents by U.S. President Joe Biden after his vice presidency ended in 2017, but before he was sworn in as president in 21. The documents were discovered in November in Biden's former office in Washington, D.C., and D.C. think tank, and at his home in Wilmington, Delaware. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Plumbers, electricians, HVAC technicians. These jobs are in demand right now, big time. For every five retiring, just one is entering the trades. As we come into a new year, it's time to change the definition of success and how to achieve it. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. My grandpa Dan founded Barron over 50 years ago with the goal to provide our community with quality service while supporting his employees with exceptional careers. To carry on his legacy, we're on a mission to prove that a career in the trades is a rewarding one. In his honor, the Barron team created the Dan L. Barron Trade Scholarship, which will provide opportunities to individuals looking to enter the HVAC, electrical, or plumbing trades. Barron will provide two $5,000 scholarships to Bellingham Technical College. Start a new career this new year. Apply today. Applications may be submitted at barronheating.com slash scholarship now through January 31st. Barron, your full-service HVAC, electrical, and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. If you've been seriously injured in a collision, you need someone who will advocate for you. At Bill Coates Law, they care about your case, they care about you, and they'll stand with you to get a fair settlement. After a reckless driver injured me, I didn't want to take on the insurance companies alone, but I was also worried about paying for a lawyer. I was glad when Bill Coates told me he could represent me on a contingency fee basis. That means he only gets paid after he wins my case. I was very comfortable talking to Bill, and I was glad to have him and his team looking out for me. 
Bill Coates has helped good people who've been badly hurt recover full and fair compensation. You only pay attorney's fees when they win your case, and there is never any charge to meet to discuss your case in person. Bill Coates Law, helping good people who've been badly hurt recover full and fair compensation. In Bellingham, serving Whatcom Island and Skagit counties and online at BillCoatsLaw.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Want to get a hold of us? War Asset Advisors. We're located out on the Pacific Highway. That's on Old Highway 99. We're in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Northwest Hot Tubs and Wilson's Furniture. And our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101 Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. If you missed yesterday's show, I had Patrick Connor with us again yesterday. Patrick is the head of the state of Washington chair of the NFIB. Uh, he informed us on some of the legislative impact that we're going to see from some of the proposed legislation sitting down in Olympia in this year's legislature. And you can get that in a couple of days under podcasts here on KGMI.com. Or you can also get it at our website at wealthwakeup.com, also under podcasts. Okay, continuing on with this week's economic news. Quick hits. As earnings season gets underway, analysts expect a 4.1% year-over-year decline in the fourth quarter S&P earnings, the first contraction since the third quarter in 2020. And China this week ended the requirement that incoming travelers quarantine and now requires an only a negative COVID test to enter the country. Taiwan's exports fell for the fourth straight month in December as global demand, particularly for semiconductors, has softened. And the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's December survey of consumer expectations found that one year ahead inflation expectations declined to 5%. That's the lowest reading since July of 21. Household spending expectations declined sharply to 5.9% in December from 6.9% in November, while income growth expectations rose to 4.6%, which is a series high. And the U.S. budget deficit widened 12% in the first quarter of the fiscal year as interest payments on the national debt soared 37%. From October through December, the deficit reached $421 billion. The budget gap for 2022 came in at $1.38 trillion, down from $2.78 trillion the prior year during some of the worst of the pandemic. And the Bank of England chief economist Hugh Pill said this week that inflation pressure may be easing as the labor market cools, though he warned of a potential for inflation to prove more resilient. And Australia's inflation reaccelerated to 7.3% year-over-year in November after dipping to 6.9% in October. A core measure of inflation, the trimmed mean, rose 5.6%, which is its highest level since 2018. And the Bank of Korea raised 
rates by a quarter of a percent to three and a quarter percent on Friday, as expected. And according to the University of Michigan Consumer Senate Survey, one-year inflation expectations declined to 4% in January from 4.4% in December, though expectations of five to 10 years in the future ticked up to 3% from 2.9%. Consumer sentiment rebounded strongly this month to 64.6 from December's 59.7 reading. Let's get into that December Consumer Price Index report a little deeper here. Consumer prices posted the first monthly decline in two and a half years in October, closing out 2022 on a positive note. And while the headline decline in prices is a welcome sign of progress and will no doubt be taken as a signal that the Federal Reserve is exceeding in fighting inflation, it's worth noting just how little progress has been made in the past calendar year. The Consumer Price Index was up 7% in the 12-month period ending December 21st and up 6.5% in the most recent 12 months. No matter which way you put it, inflation remains well above the Federal Reserve's target of 2%. The largest driver of the decline came from the volatile energy sector, specifically the price of gasoline, which fell 9.4%. If you're stripping out energy and its other volatile counterparts, Food prices, core prices, rose about three-tenths of one percent, while there are a handful of core CPI categories that declined for the month, most notably airline fares, which are down 3.1 percent, and used vehicles down 2.5 percent. These were offset elsewhere. Housing rents were the main upward driver within the core measure, rising eight-tenths of one percent for the month. And we expect housing rate inflation to remain high in 2023 because rents still have a long ways to go to catch up with home prices, which skyrocketed during COVID. Some analysts point to real-time rental indices based on what new tenants are paying, which have softened in the last couple of months as foreshadowing a drop in CPI rents. But this process will take time before they bleed into the CPI, which covers all tenants and homeowners, not just new tenants. Medical care services up one-tenth of one percent, and auto insurance prices up six-tenths of one percent also contributed to core inflation in December. And while the report may be a welcome sign to the markets that make no mistake, the Fed is not out of the woods. Much of the progress that we've seen in the past few reports uh, has come from volatile categories like energy, which come bouncing back just as rapidly. Inflation is now mitigated from the goods sector into the services, which is what we'll likely watch closely here for 23. And finally, initial unemployment claims fell 1,000 last week to 205,000, while continuing claims declined 63,000 to 1.634 million. These figures are welcome news on the labor market, but New Year's Day was on a Monday last week, so it could have affected the seasonal adjustments. Let's go ahead here. I've got an interesting report that we saw come out on when you should take your Social Security. And basically the study said that it pays to wait to start taking your payouts from your Social Security, especially when it comes to collecting other retirement income. There's a new study published in the Journal of Financial Planning that says delayed Social Security helps combat longevity risk by providing inflation-adjusted lifetime benefits for a retiree and a surviving spouse. The report 
from the Center for Retirement Income at the American College of Financial Services concludes that monthly benefits will be 77% larger in inflation-adjusted terms for those who claim at age 70 instead of age 62. The actual factors supporting that 77% increase were designed in 1983 when longevity was shorter and interest rates were higher, suggesting at the very least that delayed Social Security and meanwhile spending down other fixed income assets has a better than even chance of improving your retirement income. The idea that an early claiming decision provides retirees with the opportunity to invest their benefits to grow and support better retirement outcomes has grown in popularity in recent years. However, the study's authors say that the list thinking overlooks several important points about retirement income, most notably that retirees may not invest this aggressively and retirees must fund spending from assets and do not experience simple time-weighted returns. In other words, to generate the returns needed to beat the benefit of delaying Social Security, retirees would need to substantially raise their risk tolerance levels and set much more aggressive asset allocations. We find that evidence using the historical data that is uncommon for investment returns to beat the implied benefit of delaying Social Security for long-lived retirees, even relatively aggressive asset allocation according to the study. Now you got to keep in mind that each year that you take your Social Security before your full retirement age, which today is 67, you're going to have about a 7% decrease in the amount of benefits that you're going to receive for each year. So if you start taking them at 62, normal retirement age today is 67, that's a 35% decrease. Now you also have to consider that after your normal retirement age, you get an 8% automatic increase between there, so between the age 67, for example, 70, that's another 24%. So that contributes greatly to that 77% increase that we're talking about, in addition to whatever the rate of inflation is during that period of time. Of course, if you delay it, you also have to live long enough for this strategy to realize its full potential. But from a legacy perspective, it really depends on what's going on with your other assets. If, if they can leave them alone, defer Social Security, and live for a long time, then absolutely there would be a larger amount of inheritance as well. However, if you have to tap your other investments to bridge the cash flow gap from earlier claiming to maximum of age 70, then you may have less to leave behind. So I think the real question comes down to preference. Are you more concerned about maintaining a certain lifestyle, or are you more concerned about leaving behind a bigger inheritance? The answer is a big key to determining when you want to start claiming. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be right back. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. I'm Deanna Harrelock. I'm here to keep you informed with the morning news from 6 to 9 a.m. But even with all that time in the morning, there's still so many things I want to talk about. You know, beyond the morning news. And now I have the chance to give you exactly that. Head on over to KGMI.com mornings for extended conversations on everything that might not be making headlines. My thoughts on travel, food, music, and hey, maybe a little bit of culture. 
Beyond the Morning News updates every Tuesday on KGMI.com slash mornings. Enjoy your retirement at Meadow Greens, a retirement community offering warm, welcoming, independent, and assisted living apartments. Located on a premier golf course in beautiful Linden with panoramic views of green rolling hills and snow-capped mountains, Meadow Greens offers a fitness center, wellness programs, tailored social and recreational activities, and complimentary unlimited golf play with cart at Homestead Golf Club. One- and two-bedroom apartments with full kitchens are available, offering the freedom of eating in or enjoying a more social meal at the Outward Nine Restaurant or the Duck Hook Bistro. Then relax with a glass of wine with friends or cozy up next to the fireplace with a good book in the library lounge. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. What makes your team look more professional and carry a bold statement that they're proud to work for your company? A crisp company logoed shirt or uniform from Bergen. Sun is shining and I feel so good. Whatcom County's local logo apparel experts. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results, specializing in embroidery, heat application, screen printing, and all kinds of logoed promotional products. Your company apparel should reflect the standards of your business. And when your team wears Bergen's customized apparel, it will. Bergen's new owners understand the importance of your image. They go the extra mile to provide crisp logo apparel. They guarantee that the order will be completed on time to your specific vacations with a smile. Elevate your company brand with Ber- customized company apparel. From polos to sweatshirts, ball caps to bags and more, Bergen does it all. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham and online at bergenembroidery.com. Generosity pays, and West Edge Credit Union wants to encourage a little generosity. Now through the end of the year, receive an extra quarter point discount off your interest rate on any car, truck, or motorcycle loan from West Edge, and no payments for 90 days when you donate $25 to a local charity. Now that's a win-win. Offer valid through December 31st on approved credit. See West Edge for details. West Edge Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA, on the corner of James and Alabama. Online at westedgecu.org. Dedicated to service, shining a light on local individuals, law enforcement, and groups giving back to our community. In the past year, the Lighthouse Mission staff and community volunteers have made a difference by providing our homeless neighbors with nutritious meals, shelter, and help in transitioning to stable housing. In fact, more than 225 men, women, and children have shelter each night. More than 650 meals are served each day, and 150 people were moved into stable housing. This couldn't happen without the help and support of community volunteers, businesses, and organizations like the Lighthouse Mission. Want to help? Visit thelighthousemission.org. Thelighthousemission.org. Dedicated to service. Brought to you by Neater House of Luxury, Bellingham's newest fine jewelry store. They're also a certified precious metals dealer. American Gold Eagles, Gold and Silver Bars, and a great selection of platinum. On Squalicum Harbor, 21 Bellwether Way, Suite 107, Bellingham. Follow the bright light. Neater House of Luxury. Staying connected with your community each Saturday at noon with KGMI's Community Connection as local business leaders share their expert advice. Sponsored by Vibrant USA, Pacific Security, Lighthouse Mission Ministries, Feller Heating and Air Conditioning, and Columbia Fire. Community Connection, Saturdays at noon 
on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you here this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Well, let's see here. I think I'm going to talk about some of the changes that we're seeing because of the legislation that was passed, the new SECURE Act 2 that was passed right at the end of December. And we're seeing that there's a lot of quirks that IRA beneficiaries are going to be facing this year and that the provisions of the SECURE and the CARES Act and the other related IRS rules are creating even more confusion about which beneficiaries are subject to RMDs and when this year. The first one being, however, I'll just cover this real quick. If you turn 72 this year, you do not have to take your first RMD. You now can wait until next year when you're 73. Anyway, the calculation of required minimum distributions for beneficiaries has always been a uniquely complicated because of confusing tax rules that differ depending on the type of beneficiary that you are, when they inherit the IRA, and whom you inherit it from. The provisions of the SECURE and the CARES Act and the related IRS rules and relief provisions are creating even more confusion about which beneficiaries are subject to RMDs this year and how much they need to withdraw. You know, we can help you navigate this much more easily by knowing, for example, what type of beneficiary is inheriting it and by answering two questions. One is when did the IRA owner die? If the IRA die owner died before 2020, or in 2020 or later, when the SECURE Act rules became effective, then eliminating the stretch IRA for most beneficiaries. So basically, if they retired, they died before 2020, you could still use the stretch. And if they didn't, we can't. We also need to know whether the IRA owner died before the required beginning date. Well, the required beginning date back in 2019 was 70 and a half. Then it was 72 up until January of this year. Now it's 73. And actually, the required beginning date is generally April 1st of the year following the year in which the IRA turned 72. Now it will be the April 1st of the year following when they turn 73. Nice and confusing, I know. But let's start with when. Did the beneficiary inherit it before 2020? If yes, then the SECURE Act rules do not apply. If the beneficiary is what we call a designated beneficiary, he or she can continue that stretch IRA taking RMDs based on his or her single life expectancy. And designated beneficiaries are individuals rather than a non-person, like an estate, a charity, or a non-qualifying trust, named on the beneficiary form. A common example is an adult child who inherits the IRA of a parent. So then the question is whether or when. Designated beneficiaries are grandfathered under the Pre-Secure Act rules. However, 
Since these beneficiaries inherited before 2020, they also had to reset their stretch IRA schedule in 2022 because IRS changed the single life table. People are expected to live longer. The result is a slightly lower RMD requirement. I'll cover that here in a second. In this case, we don't have to answer the weather as long as the beneficiary is a designated beneficiary. The weather only matters if the beneficiary is not a designated beneficiary. So let's talk about what is a designated beneficiary here first. Only the when matters if they are a designated beneficiary. So let's take Jim. He inherited an IRA from his mother, Anne, in 2017, and he was 40 years old at the time. He was named on the IRA beneficiary form, so he is a designated beneficiary, and he does qualify for the stretch IRA. And since he's a designated beneficiary and he inherited it before 2020, that's the when, then the SCARE Act doesn't impact his RMD schedule. So he began taking his inherited IRA money out in 2018, which would be the year after death, when he was 41. And his RMDs were based on what we call the old single life table. His life expectancy factor was 42.7 years for 2018. In 2019, he would have, in succeeding years, he would reduce that factor by one. So he would have started out at 42.7, 41.7, 40.7, 39.7, etc. You take your year end balance and you divide it by that number. So that's how you determine what your minimum is that you had to take out. But for 2022 RMD, now we ran into another change because he had to go in and reset his life expectancy to the new and more favorable single life table. Basically, he would reset that by starting with his life expectancy back when 2018, but in that new table, he now had 44.8 years versus 42.7, so almost two years longer for a 41-year-old. And then if you subtract one year up to 2022, you would have 44.8 minus four years. Now he would be dividing by 40.8. And for his 23 RMD, he would subtract more one more from his 22, and he'd come up with 39.8. So this year you would divide the December 31st, 22 balance by 39.8. Well, the CARES Act waived all RMDs for 2020, but that has no impact on that RMD calculation. And if Jim's IRA balance on two, December 31st of last year is 300000 then his 2023 RMD is going to be $7,538. That would be 300000 divided by 39.8, which would equal $7,538. And since he is a designated beneficiary and inherited before this CARE Act was effective, it, whether it doesn't matter to him, it, is no, it makes no difference whether Jim's mom died before or after her RMD age. Her age didn't matter. Now let's take our second example of a non-designated beneficiary. He only the weather matters in this case. If the beneficiary of Anne's IRA was not a designated beneficiary, say her estate, then the win wouldn't matter because the Secure Act didn't change the beneficiary RMD rules for non-designated beneficiaries. But the weather still would matter. Under the RMD rule for non-designated beneficiaries, if death occurred before the deceased IRA's required beginning date. Then we had the five-year payment rule that would apply. This means that all inherited funds would have to be withdrawn by the end of the fifth year after the owner's death. 2020, again, did not count since the CARES Act waived the RMDs for that year. However, 
If death occurred on or after the required beginning date, then the so-called ghost rule would apply, and this requires the beneficiary to take the RMDs based on the owner's remaining single life had she or he or she lived. In this case, the age of the deceased IRA owner would matter since the post-death RMDs would be based on his or her remaining life expectancy. Let's talk about inheritance after the SECURE Act after 2019. If the beneficiary inherits after the SECURE Act and the beneficiary is a designated beneficiary and not an eligible designated beneficiary, then the weather also matters. Eligible designated beneficiaries, let's talk about them. They're a special delegate category of beneficiaries. They were created in the SECURE Act where the stretch rules still apply. So the weather doesn't matter in this category. Other than maybe some fine technical points, IRS rules regulations will probably not bring many changes to RMDs for this group. As a review, eligible designated beneficiaries must first be a designated beneficiary, individuals or qualifying trusts named on the IRA or plan beneficiary form. Very, very important that you name the beneficiary on your IRA beneficiary forms. Now, there's five classes of eligible designated beneficiaries. One is a surviving spouse. The second one is minor children of the account holder until they're 21, but not grandchildren. Also disabled individuals that qualify under very strict IRS rules, chronically ill individuals, and individuals not more than 10 years younger than the IRA owner or beneficiaries who are older than the IRA owner, plus any designated beneficiary including qualifying trusts who inherited it before 2020. These beneficiaries are grandfathered under the pre-20 stretch rules. In addition, conduit trusts for the sole benefit of those eligible designated beneficiaries can qualify as an eligible designated beneficiary under IRS's proposed regulations. Then you have the, uh, the eligible designated beneficiary status determined as of the date of the account owner's death, and it cannot be changed. Let's take a third example. That's non-eligible designated beneficiaries. Both the when and the weather matter. Pam inherited an IRA from her mom in 2020 at age 40. She is a designated beneficiary, but not an eligible designated beneficiary. But since she inherited after the SECURE Act was effective, the when, she doesn't qualify for the stretch. She is going to be subject to that 10-year rule. and She must be empty the entire inherited IRA by the end of the 10th year after death, which would be December 31, 2030. Since PAM is subject to the SECURE Act rules and related IRA proposed regulations from 22, we must ask the weather question. Did her mom die before or after her required beginning date? If mom died after a required beginning date, say at age 68, then PAM isn't subject to any RMDs in years 1 through 9. The only required minimum distribution is at the end of the 10th year when the entire balance has to be withdrawn. However, it does get trickier. If mom died on or after her required beginning date, in that case, RMDs must be taken for years 1 through 9 and the 10-year term based on Pam's single life expectancy. The first year RMD for the life after expectancy of 21 would be based on a 42.7 factor. That would be according to that single table we talked about. The 22 RMD would be 43.8 under the new table after this reset. And Pam's 23 RMD factor would be 42.8. Got questions on that? I know it's complicated trying to talk about it here on the air. I can certainly sit down and try to explain it to you one on one. Complementing matters further for advisors the issue of the 21 and 22 RMDs, where death occurred after the RMDs had begun after the required beginning date. 
But due to the confusion over the rules, IRS issued Rule Notice 2253 back in October for providing RMD relief by waiving the excise tax, a 50% tax penalty, for missing your 21 and 22 inherited retirement account RMDs for beneficiaries subject to the SECURE Act 10-year rule. The result is that RMDs for 21 and 22 in this situation did not have to be taken. However, that relief has no impact on the calculation of the 23 RMD. If Pam, in the example above, the factor for 2023 in this case would be 42.8 years. That would be her now life expectancy, whether 21 or 22 RMDs were taken or not. The IRS relief also does not change the 10-year term. It still ends on December 31st, 2030. So these will be the IRA beneficiary RMD rules for RMD until the IRS issues final regulations, which should happen this year. The final regulations will likely leave these rules in place. If the IRS does make any changes, hopefully they'll be early enough in the year to get the word out and so we can talk about it again, and hopefully they will not take effect until 2024. Dick Downey here with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. Again, got questions about this kind of stuff? Give me a call, 360-733-1200. Thank you for listening. A lot of times when you're shopping for a new mattress, all you see in a lot of the stores are big signs screaming, sale, sale, sale. But Scott, owner of Northwest Sleep Solutions, says you'll never see a sign like that in his store. Why? I really don't have the markup to do that. Our everyday prices are frankly a lot lower than the sale prices you see. We see the $9.99 beds for $5.99 on sale. We're $4.99 all the time. So we don't do that, and there's a reason we don't, and I think that's one reason we're still here. And people walking by Northwest Sleep Solutions can't seem to resist coming in and stretching out on one of their beds. The reason we set this store up this way is for that exact reason. Over the years, it's gotten to where bed shopping seems to be kind of stressful. It shouldn't be. It's a bed. So we'd love to have you come in and just take your time, hang out, and if you come back a couple months from now, that's great. We're not going to pressure anybody here at all. Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware is your locally owned and operated grocery and hardware store, proud to source delicious and healthy food from local farmers, producers, ranchers, and fishers, and proud to serve the residents and visitors of the Mount Baker foothills. Whatever you need, there's a very good chance you'll find it at the Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware at a fair price. Make the Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware your first and last stop of the day. Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware, open seven days a week from 8 until 8. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue, financial advisor, certified financial planner, credit investment fiduciary, all those nice things here for you. If you got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. Well, we're talking about the biggest changes for 401k retirement savers. You know, after a dismal year for retirement savers, new legislation could make it a little easier to put money aside this year. The changes were part of the omnibus spending bill that was signed into law at the end of December. 
and have been criticized for mainly benefiting high-income workers and not going far enough to address America's retirement crisis. In the face of daunting challenges, including a swath of the population that has no retirement savings at all, it is a start. Some things are clearly made better, but at best, it's a tune-up. Here are some of the changes that we think are the most timely and meaningful for retirement savers today. First of all is 529 College Savings Plan Flexibility. One of the more interesting changes is the ability to roll over money from a 529 College Savings Plan into a Roth IRA. The Roths are funded with tax-free dollars, which they grow tax-free. So beginning next year in 2024, beneficiaries of money left at a 529 plan, because say they got more scholarships than expected or they had more money saved, that's hard to do, but they didn't use it, well, they can roll some of that leftover funds into a Roth IRA without paying the usual 10% penalty for withdrawing money for non-education expenses. There is a catch, though. The 529 account must have been in place for at least 15 years. When money moving into a Roth, no account growth for the past five years can be included, so you have to go back five years and look at that value. And the annual maximum that can be put into the Roth remains currently at $6,500 for 2023. The lifetime cap for 529 rollers is $35,000, so that's the most you can put in. Now, you can also change beneficiaries on 529 plans, so I'm not 100% sure that we're going to see a lot of people taking advantage of this, but if they did have a big 529 plan, it is something certainly to take a look at. And it's good for college savers who are afraid to put money into a 529 plan because their child might not go to college. It really encourages college savings instead of retirement, but it is a good thing. Another thing in that law was student loan matching. Employers now can have the go-ahead, starting in 2024, to treat employee student loan payments as contributions to workplace retirement savings plans. This means that they can qualify for matching contributions from employers, given a head start to young people who would otherwise put off savings for retirement. Student loan payments are currently on pause pending a Supreme Court review of President Biden's plan to write off as much as $20,000 in debt per borrower. Then there's emergency savings. Today, employees who need to take money out of TAP of 401k before age 59 and a half for an emergency expense can take hardship withdrawals. But in most cases, we'll pay a 10% penalty, you're going to owe income tax, and you won't be able to repay that money into the account. Such withdrawals have been rising in the last past year or so. So to try to lessen those impact withdrawals. Employers are going to be allowed to offer emergency savings accounts alongside retirement plans beginning in 2024. These accounts can hold up to $2,500 or an employee may set a lower bar, or an employer may set a lower bar. An employee can take one penalty-free distribution up to $1,000 a year. They can repay it within three years. No more distributions can be taken over that three-year period of time. So you can put a hold up to $2,500 to set it again. You can take one penalty-free distribution per year of up to $1,000. You can repay it within three years, but you also can't take any more other distributions over that three-year period unless the money is repaid. In terms of what plan sponsors will be talking talking about, number one is the optimal student loan provision, and this is number two. If unemployment starts to tick up, overall financial conditions are challenging, this is one of the easier changes to implement. People in all income groups can struggle to pay for even small emergency expenses. And even if you have a decent retirement account, 
You just don't have money saved for emergencies because it's human nature. People raid the retirement account and it starts as a trickle and grows. And they take payday loans or they can't pay the expense at all. So there's also a rule in here for bigger catch-ups. The rules around so-called catch-up for contributions, which is the amount above the annual limit that for savers over age 50 can make to retirement accounts have also changed. Currently, older savers can put $7,500 into a 401k on top of their $22,500 annual contribution limit. In 2024, savers between ages 60 and 63 and plans that allow catch-up contributions can save a greater of $10,000 or 50% more than the regular catch-up amount. If the provision went into effect this year, that would be $11,250, and that's because the catch-up amount this year is $7,500, so you would take 50% more, which would be $3,750, so that's where that $11,250 comes from. Current law allows catch-up contributions to be split between regular 401k accounts and Roths. In 2024, employees making 145000 or more must put the catch-up contributions in a Roth, meaning that you cannot reduce your taxable income by that amount. And while higher income savers may mourn the loss of the tax shelter, I caution against overreacting. We think of diversification of stocks, bonds, and cash, but there's also a tax diversification. A mix of deferred and tax-deferred and after-tax accounts gives savers flexibility when drawing that money out during inflation. And you pay, probably everybody's heard it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Why is the Biden administration so interested in your gas stove? Your, your stove might become illegal. The Consumer Product Safety Commission is considering creating regulations and even a ban on natural gas stoves over concerns that research links harmful pollutants from such stoves. Gas stoves have been linked to respiratory issues such as asthma, according to Commission member Richard Trunka, Jr., and the agency is still gathering information, but Trunka, who's a Democrat appointed by President Joe Biden, said a ban is possible because, as he told Bloomberg, products that can't be made safe can be banned. About 40% of Americans, including operators of many restaurants, use gas stoves. Conservatives, including lawmakers, quickly mocked the idea on social media using a photo from 2020 tweet by Jill Biden, now First Lady, showing her heating green beans on a gas stove. The Consumer Product Safety Commission has yet to propose new restrictions on gas stoves, but the Biden administration appears to be seeking to restrict Americans' access to natural gas on the dubious premise of fighting climate change. Uh, let's see here. Young American men with college degrees, they're to lead the quiet quitting movement in the U.S., according to new research that sheds more light on pandemic-induced phenomenon. Men aged 25 to 39 work 16 fewer hours annually, voluntarily, as opposed to layoffs between 2019 and 22. Men with at least a bachelor's degree cut back 14 hours, as most among groups, according to researchers at Washington University in St. Louis. The quiet quitting, as we call it, refers to workers scaling back overall effort and time spent on the job, a phenomenon fueled by the pandemic that forced a rethink of work-life balance and globally. While recessions typically prompt a drop in working hours amid layoffs, the research found that the pandemic fuel downturn was different with a large chunk of the reduction driven by Americans choosing more flexible hours and jobs. Rather interesting little comment. Okay, well, how expansive welfare benefits could make 
being on the dole more lucrative than working. Kids love Santa. We all know that. They don't have to work for the stuff on their Christmas lists. He just gives it to them. And in many states, gratuitous welfare benefits have made that childhood fantasy an adult reality. Professor Casey Mulligan of the University of Chicago found that some families can receive annualized equivalent of a six-figure income with no one working, and you're paying for it. During the pandemic, idled workers received unemployment bonuses so high that many were pocketing more than twice what they would be making on the job. Even without these extra weekly payments, unemployment benefits can reach unexpected high levels in many states. New Jersey, for instance, a family of four with one working can receive unemployment benefits equivalent to a job paying $96,000 a year. That's more than the median household income, earns, and wages and benefits combined. High unemployment benefits are not unique to the Gordon State. 13 states, a family can receive annualized unemployment benefits more than the median household income. The value of unemployment benefits becomes not just with their sheer size, but their tax advantages as well. Unlike earned income, unemployment benefits are exempt from payroll taxes, and six states also exempt them from respective state income tax. And while the pandemic-related unemployment benefits have ended, the Affordable Care Act subsidies have kept expanding. A program that is sold to the American people as a hand for the poor has quickly been transformed into a handout for upper-income earners. In some parts of the country, a family of four earning a half million dollars still qualifies for Obamacare subsidies, and those with a quarter-million-dollar income qualify in nearly the entire country. And the annualized value of these health care benefits and unemployment benefits for a family of four can exceed a six-figure income. Here in Washington State, the amount is more than 122000 substantially more than many blue-collar incomes. In fact, it's 32% more than the wages and benefits of the median household, 51% more than the median secondary school teacher's wages and benefits, and 95% more than the median machinist salary and benefits, and 220% more than the median retail associate's salaries and benefits. But Washington State's not alone. 29 states' unemployment benefits and Obamacare subsidies are worth more than the wages and benefits earned by the median firefighter or truck driver. In 14 states, these two programs pay annualized benefits exceeding the wages and benefits of the median electrician. And while the study only examined two welfare programs that are not means-tested, there is an entire suite of means-tested programs for which many people are eligible and which together provide surprisingly high standard of living. This has been Dick Donnie here with you at Wolf Wake Up here on Sunday morning. Don't forget our live show tomorrow morning, our live show on Saturdays at 11 o'clock in the morning. And if you got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. Thanks, and have a great week. voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.